0: And you're here. Thanks for choosing the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Your quest for podcasts of the paranormal, supernatural, and the unexplained ends here. We invite you to enjoy all our shows we have on this network. And right now, let's start with Strange Things with Joshua P. Warren.
1: The thoughts and opinions expressed by the host are thoughts and opinions only
0: p warren and each week on this show i'll be bringing you brand new mind-blowing content news exercises and weird experiments you can do at home and a lot more on this edition of the program the ultimate paranormal detective and historian vance pollack and listen to this he will reveal for the first time ever what he thinks happened to my great uncle, Claude Calloway, who vanished in the mountains of western North Carolina in the 1930s. It's an unsolved mystery. And after 15 years of research, listen to Vance give me his conclusion for the first time. Now, I have known Vance Pollock for many Many years. He was raised in central Florida and has a bachelor's degree in journalism, but he eventually settled around my hometown of Asheville, North Carolina. And I met him there when he was researching one of the area's most controversial historical figures. You'll hear about that. I'm six foot two and Vance is a tall, thin, six foot seven, I think, with striking blue eyes and he just towers over everyone. And yet he usually comes across as quiet and gentle as a springtime breeze with this warm voice to match. He'll chuckle hearing that his official bio says he's smarter than he looks. (laughs) You can tell we are good friends. And when I was living in Puerto Rico, And no longer had the time to host my old radio show called speaking of strange. I asked Vance to take over for me. That's how much I think of him. He is a music aficionado who also regularly travels to some of the world's oddest places like Iceland, where he lived for years. But here's the thing that stands out most about him. Vance was born with a destiny. As an historian and librarian and investigator, he'll become struck by some person in history, no matter how regional or forgotten or obscure, and he will decide to dig into that person and that person's connections, and then something magical happens. A sort of synchronicity kicks in, a serendipity. It's almost like the spirits begin speaking to him. And guiding him. And then amazingly, he discovers new things in in cemeteries, in books, in his daily experiences. These elements of the past just sort of reveal themselves to him. They just manifest for him. And I know how strange this sounds, but you're about to hear some examples and you'll understand more. And this is why I affectionately call him Sherlock Pollock. It's not easy to figure out how to introduce him properly. So, without further ado, here he is. Vance Pollack, welcome to the show.
2: A pleasure to be here with you, Josh. I mean, we've had some uh, we've had some wild adventures over the years, haven't we?
0: Uh how many movies could we make? Uh there's no telling. I mean and, and no, nobody would believe them. It always reminds me of the the Mark Twain quote that uh well I, that the truth is stranger than fiction because fiction has to make sense. Um and so yeah, we have known each other a long time. We have had uh so many strange and truly unbelievable adventures and let me just ask you as an historian And investigator, at what point in your life did your current curious personality seem to congeal into what you are today? Uh,
2: The idea of communicating with uh, people beyond the grave uh, was always interesting. Not just ghost stories, but ghost stories with. Information, you know, because you talk. Of course, your listeners they they understand the difference between a sentient spirit and an imprint. And in many cases, I think what people are experiencing when they have ghostly encounters is just like a a loop from uh, a, some experience or some energy uh, that a living person had had spent in that space, perhaps so many times that they had almost. a channel there in my experience I have had information imparted to me in ways that defy coincidence
0: now you have always been a very rational person you're a critical thinker a fact finder what was an early case that convinced you ghosts are more than just fodder for campfire tales
2: I sat in my house, the house where I grew up, that my, my father and mother built. Uh, and I know I was absolutely alone in the room with Josh. And every time I recount this, sometimes I get emotional. I can almost feel the like hairs stand up on the back of my neck because it's absolutely true. I sat in the living room and looked across the room to a door leading into uh, a bedroom on the other side. And that was the bedroom where my grandmother stayed with my parents when she was quite elderly. And uh, she had she had been dead for some years by this time. We'll say she had been dead for 10 years or more because I was a teenager at this point. And uh, the house is just a small bungalow so that you can walk from the living room into the kitchen, dining area, into the hallway and into that bedroom. Uh, and it's, it's not really... Uh, you know, no effort to walk around, and uh, my parents are kind of like me. They're kind of like pack rats. So in the intervening years since my grandmother had passed away, a table and a bookshelf and more stuff piled up on that side of the living room in front of that door so that we didn't even use that door into the bedroom anymore. To go into that bedroom, you just walk through the kitchen and into the hallway and into the bedroom. But I was sitting in the living room reading late one night, absolutely alone in the house and i looked up at that door to that bedroom because i heard a rattle and that doorknob was very slowly and deliberately turning back and forth back and forth and i was petrified for a second and i felt those chills and finally I got up the nerve to walk around through the kitchen, into the hallway and peer into the bedroom, and obviously there was there was nothing there, but I, I swear I saw that doorknob turn, and that's, that's what I call my believer experience. I think all believers, all true believers, have had some experience that is beyond the pale, you know. Uh, if you had seen that UFO, you would never doubt it. If you had seen that doorknob turn by itself, you could not doubt that there's something else out there.
0: Yeah, there's no substitute for the personal experience. And once you open your mind to these things and you start noticing more, then uh, there are actually more signs and pieces of evidence around us than most people realize on a daily basis. We'll get to that. But first off, so let's hear your version of how we met.
2: You and I, we met... What, going on 15 years ago? Easily. Believe it or not. I think it was about 2007. Mm -hmm. I probably still got the the messages and the emails. Um, But you had, in those days, the lemur forum, because in the days before uh, social media being what it is now, forums were... Uh, a popular thing people would go go on and post a subject, and then everyone could join in the conversation. The Lemur Forum was a great outlet for all sorts of paranormal discussion in those days, and I chimed in uh about a location in Biltmore Village, which I knew to have been associated with a publisher by the name of William Dudley Pelly. Well, he was more than a publisher he 's a he is a uh, a grand character in in uh, weird lore, especially here in the mountains. Uh, but I chimed in on the Lemur forum and said there was a publisher holding séances and writing books about communicating with the dead in this building in the late nineteen thirties. And do you remember your reaction when I posted a photograph of that building on the forum?
0: Oh, yeah, it was shocking because I had already been investigating uh, ghostly activity at that building, having no knowledge whatsoever about William Dudley Pelley and what you were simultaneously researching. I mean, it was one of those many examples of uh, what you were investigating and what I was investigating dovetailing.
2: And it was only a short time later that... uh, you and uh, some of the lemur team from that time, Forrest Connor included, Micah Hanks was on board at that time, uh, met in West Asheville at a uh, a little sandwich shop. At the time, it was Pineapple Jack Sandwich Shop, but that had been another uh, location where William Dudley Pelly had his uh, printing plant um, right there on Haywood Road in
0: West Asheville. So now, I want us to dig into... William Dudley Pelley, but first, to give everybody who is is just hearing about your work for the first time a better idea of how you work, um, I talk a lot about you and how that synchronicity tends to assist you in your research. So to help give everybody a clear understanding of what I mean, what are some examples of how synchronicity has helped you? and give us some sort of good, succinct stories. Time for us to pause for a quick break. But listen, I have some exciting news and updates I will be sharing with you soon. The only way you can get them is to go to joshuapwarren.com and to sign up for my free e-newsletter. It takes you two seconds. You put your email address into the little box there on the homepage. Hit the submit button. You will instantly receive an automated email from my system that will give you some free gifts that will start helping you manifest a much more magical life. Do that right now, JoshuaPWarren.com. I am Joshua P. Warren, and you are listening to Strange Things on the I Radio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network, and I will be right back.
3: With BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash things today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash things Are you ready
4: to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
1: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals.
0: Welcome back to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I'm your host, the Wizard of Weird, Joshua P. Warren. And now let's get back to my conversation with the paranormal detective, Vance Pollack.
2: A good example I will give, this is not necessarily the the first story I would tell people, actually, I don't know if you've even heard this one, Josh, because it's a, it's kind of a, a shocking one, and I have to be careful even telling this story because some of the family are still in the area, and it, it's, a, it's a touchy one. Um, but there's a little bar and music hall on Patton Avenue in Asheville, North Carolina, called Jack of the Wood. You know Jack of the Wood. Oh, yes. Um in the 1930s, again, there were printing presses in there, and they were churning out. People are going to be like, wow, Asheville actually, had, in the 1930s, was printing all this sort of uh, heretical, <laughs> religious, uh, strange uh, sort of uh, material. Yes, this town, uh, for for small presses and authors of uh, paranormal subjects, I think Asheville had more people per capita engaged in that than perhaps any other place in the country. Um, so there's a small print shop on uh, Patton Avenue where Jack of the Wood is now. And they were printing some channeled messages. That is spirit communications and putting out these small pamphlets and brochures and booklets and things like this. And the wife of the owner was a woman and I'll use her name I'll use her maiden name because it, it it has a great resonance to it her maiden name was Gladys Lord Jenkins so I'll refer to Gladys by her proper name Gladys Lord Jenkins and Gladys Lord Jenkins was uh, absorbed with seances and spirit communication and all this sort of thing. And a lot of people will tell you that uh, if you become too obsessed with that sort of thing, you tend to sort of lose your mind. Um, And from what I could gather, that was the case with Gladys Lord Jenkins that she and her husband had gradually drifted apart and then separated. And he had her committed. Now this is coming down uh, from, Uh, another generation of people talking about their father's previous life. Uh, Gladys was his first wife, and so he went on to have another family. It was almost like he had another chapter to his life. But during that first marriage, uh, they had adopted a child uh, who had grown up and, and also gone her separate way. And as I was talking to some of the younger children, one of them expressed to me, uh, I would like to know what happened to my older adopted sister. And I said, that's a tough one, because Gladys, you know, she 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 got committed. She kind of slipped and went off the deep end Uh, that it's it's going to be tough to try and pin down an adoption from 1935. So. I, I told him i'm gonna I'm gonna try and reach out to Gladys and see if I can get some information on on your older adopted sister uh, just so they could kind of compare notes He could learn a little more about his father as a younger man as the younger man that he never really knew. He said his father never talked about that that previous life, and so I'm standing in the storeroom above Jack of the Wood and I'm imagining. This is the 1930s. Gladys is on the premises on a daily basis there. If if she had walked this path, you know, dozens of times before, maybe maybe she left some energy in this room. And I stood there and I felt I felt a, a like a small charge, like low voltage electricity. I could I could feel the buzz we'll call it. And I asked in my head, but very loudly and very very clearly, Gladys, if you're out there, and if you wouldn't mind communicating to me, I want to find I want to find your adoptive daughter. And Joshua, this is I mean no, no joke. I went away from there, I slept on it. And the next day, it was like a hunch, and this is often the way it works when I when I make progress or when I break through these these uh, brick walls of research. The next day, I had a hunch, and it was vague but specific enough that I went to the right place, and that is the the uh, small claims court at the Buncombe County courthouse. And I don't know why you would why you would go to the uh, Hall of Records. It's like they keep the records for small claims court and the inferior court records in a little building off of the lobby kind of tucked away in the back. And I had been in the courthouse and I'd been to the Register of Deeds and I'd been in all these other offices there on the, off the lobby of the, uh, the county courthouse dozens of times. And I'd never even been in this little room that's tucked away uh, in the back corner. And I'm a tall guy. I actually had to s- crouch down to get through the, the door because it's like, you're walking into a, an old vault and the books and the indexes back there are all these huge books on rollers, like uh, no joke books that are like three feet tall and weigh, you know, Thirty pounds and you pick them up and you put them on these rollers to move them around uh, this is the way we used to do it before the digital age and um, I, I pulled one of these indexes and I looked up Gladys's husband's name in one of these old indexes from the 1930s and uh, what we had there was basically like a directory with names and I did find Gladys's husband's name and off to the side there were probably at least a dozen different entries for uh, catalog records uh, referring to some inferior court judgment or some business application on his behalf so I just chose I just basically put my number down in this huge book and picked out one of the records associated with his name and uh, jotted it down on a slip of paper and handed it to the clerk there, and she rolled her eyes, and she says, "Uh, that's a tough one, I can't even reach it. And she pointed up on the wall, and the way, this old courthouse was built in 1928, by the way, and what they had installed in the walls in 1928 were these metal file Shelves—they're about the about the size of uh, you know a regular plastic file folder that you might keep on a shelf now. But they're these these huge green metal files that actually shelf into the wall. So on the wall behind this woman looks like a scene out of the movie Brazil. Uh, And there's this green file with the number in paper slipped down in the front of it. She says, "I can't even reach it. It's that one up there." And I reached up, and like I say, a tall guy, and I I reached up and grabbed it, and it's over my head. And when I pulled this green metal file out, literally coal dust, black coal dust fell out of that shelf and choked us. And the woman was like, yeah, this place is... uh, full of coal dust and if if those files haven't moved in 40 or 50 years they're full of the stuff so i i literally pull this file that's half filled with black coal dust down and it's got all these little envelopes with you know the uh, the round uh the round piece on the envelope flap and the little string. So you make a figure eight with a string to draw the, the envelope closed. So it's like these yellowed old envelopes that have just been tied off with a string tossed in one of these file drawers and shoved into the wall for 60, 70 years at that point. And I find the numbered file for Gladys's husband and when I open that file, what do you think is in there? It's the adoption papers <laughs> for their daughter, filed in Richland County, South Carolina. They're not even local documents, but for whatever reason, this file that I pulled contained a copy from another state of the adoption record of exactly who I was looking for. Wow. And the, the information in that file provided me with her, her birth name and her date of birth. And using that information, I was able to find this woman quite easily. You use public records and dates of birth and, and, a, and a, you know, a legal name, and it's not too hard to find a person. And she was still living at that time in Tennessee, and I managed to call her up on the phone, and I said, um, "I'm calling to just to reach out to you to um, let you know that you have uh, family, so to speak, you know, adopted siblings back here in Asheville who were thinking about you and wanted to know about you." And kind of as an aside, I asked, um, "Do you know what ever became of Gladys Lord Jenkins?" And I could hear her take a breath, and it wasn't a comfortable question for her, I realized. She said, the last time I saw Gladys, she was trying to shove me into a furnace in the basement of our house. Okay. And I thought, oh my word, I just I just stepped in it. I've, I've really opened a can of worms. And she did break down and cry on the phone with me, and I apologized to her for being, you know, insensitive with that line of questioning, but that I was glad to find her. I reunited her with her her younger adopted siblings, and they now exchange, or at least, you know, for some time after that, exchanged Christmas cards and were, you know, reunited. So it had a happy ending, but when I asked her about Gladys, and she said the last time I saw Gladys, she was trying to shove me in a furnace. That was uh, that was pretty intense.
0: You're listening to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio Radio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network, and I'll be right back.
4: Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims.
0: Welcome back to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I am your host, Joshua P. Warren, and this is the show where the unusual becomes usual. And now back to my conversation with Vance Pollack. I know that you could sit here for hours and tell story after story along those lines about how that you get a hunch and you just follow it. And it's almost like you're being guided by some aspect of the universe. I know sometimes you'll just go to a cemetery and walk around and stumble upon something uh, amazingly related to your work. Right. Can you give it an example of that? Oh,
2: I can give you the perfect example. It was just a few weeks before we had our encounter with, uh John Lyerly, I don't know if you realize it, but I went back and I found an email uh, that just the week or two before we encountered the ghost of Sheriff John Lyerly, I had walked over his grave and sent a note to a a friend of mine who's also a local historian and said, I was out at uh, Beaver Dam Cemetery today and I, I stumbled across a Lyerly grave weren't there some liarlies in local law enforcement and the fact that i had just seen that name on a tombstone was enough for me to keep pursuing that line of research and that's where the John Lyerly story came out actually that that's like the pre the precursor that's like the preface to the John Lyerly story is that a week or two before our encounter I had actually walked past his grave out there at Beaver Dam, and it's not like a big, uh, prominent cemetery. I mean, and I stumbled across that Lyerly grave just a couple weeks before we encountered Sheriff Lyerly's spirit, which uh, it turns out was a suicide. Yeah, Spirit. well, John that's really committed suicide
0: for people who need to be refreshed on this, because I've talked about it on this podcast. I mean, yeah, you know, I, I was working with you to create this version of a local sort of mystery museum uh, with Stuart Coleman, and we ended up being able to use the old jailhouse. Uh, over there near city county plaza in Asheville, and we knew the place was haunted but we didn't know precisely why i mean you know most jails are probably haunted um and then you know long story short one evening a cat one of the guides there she was alone and she walked into a tall dark very scary apparition of a man so scary that she closed up and left and uh, the thing that is astounding to me is that That exact same day, you knew absolutely nothing about her experience, and you contacted me to let me know that you had just discovered that that day was the day that Sheriff John Lyerly had committed suicide uh, in that building, what, like 80 years before or 90 years before? I mean, a long time before. That was the, the date. And I'm like, there's no way. That can be a coincidence. You know, there's just no way in, in that
2: very location. That's yeah, right.
0: At that location. Uh, and,
2: and our messages were basically crossing one another as cats sending you these message messages. You and I are, are sending messages back and forth. And I sent you the article that says uh, Buncombe County Sheriff commits suicide. Yeah. Um, and you respond to your first response was, did you notice the date? I had pulled that article without even noticing that it was that day's date. Uh, so you pointed out that significance, and I got a, a, you know I felt a shudder. And the next thing I hear from you, very shortly after that, is uh, that Cat, who was a, a guide and docent there in the museum, had bumped into this figure in the room in the back part of the building, which was specifically where he had shot himself. We found out.
0: When year after year, you consistently have these types of scenarios where it almost seems like the spirit, for lack of a better word, of a deceased person starts to guide you to once you take an interest in that person. Um, If you consider that, and and again, I've known you so long, I just, to me, I expect it. It's just, it's normal to me for this to happen to you. But what have you learned about the overall nature and makeup of reality from these experiences?
2: I believe that every personality, most certainly, and likely most every event or uh, episode in a person's life, is recorded somewhere on on the time loop, you know. Uh, maybe it's akin to what some uh, Eastern religions refer to as the Akashic Record, yeah, uh, where every everything is recorded. Uh, and I do, in a way, sort of associate it with with a grand library. <laughs> uh, and having worked uh, done family history and genealogy so much, I, I draw a lot of parallels to that. In the case of something like, uh, here's another Josh story. I'm going to be pulling references to things that uh, your listeners may not be all that uh, privy to, but uh, like Josh's Uncle Claude Calloway, the story of Claude Calloway's uh, disappearance. Yeah. Um, After doing some research on Claude Calloway, um, I found out that he had been twice married and he had children at the time he disappeared now that was something you didn't know and you might have thought the way it was told to you with the way it was handed down that he was just a young man in uh you know early prime of his life that just vanished but he had there was more to it than that after digging a little bit into the historic record i began to see that claude calloway had troubles, you know, he had blues <laughs> um, leading up to his disappearance. And Josh, I want to tell you that the my instincts tell me that your Uncle Claude Calloway wandered off into the mountains somewhere and drank poison. Really? Yes. Wow. And that's my, my intuition is that your Uncle Claude Calloway ha- had had that second failed marriage uh, the kids had been taken away from him. He had moved back in with his father, um, and he was he was depressed. And at that point, he just stood up from that porch and walked off into those woods. And you know how remote, even today, uh, some of these places out around Barnardsville and Coleman Boundary. Yeah. Uh, if you wandered into those woods for a day, uh, you would be you would be gone. You would vanish for all intent and purpose. And I believe that your Uncle Claude Calloway stood up from his father's porch that afternoon and started walking. And he walked and he walked and he walked into the woods. And in his pocket, he had a, a bottle of carbolic acid, which would basically be like drain cleaner, but it was something that you could, you could pick up anywhere. And the reason I specifically think carbolic acid is because his mother-in-law... The the mother of his second wife, who he had the children with, she had committed suicide by carbolic acid. (laughs) So it would have been something that was very prominent in his thinking. It would not have been a foreign concept to him. And should he want to just disappear and never be heard from again, never trouble anyone again, it would have been so simple for him to, to... fix a little glass bottle, of drain cleaner, and walk off into the woods and, and swill that down and be gone. Wow. That's, that's the, and I've felt that way for a few years now, and I don't know if you and I got to that point where we talked about it. So here, I am, I'm just telling you, I think your, your Uncle Claude did away with himself.
0: Well, that's, uh, the fact that he may have, have killed himself is certainly very plausible. That's what a horrible way to go. I can't imagine wanting to do that. Um, uh, but, you know, it's, it's odd that they never found a, a trace of him. And I guess we'll never know for sure. I'm really glad that you have done this kind of research. I mean, uh, it's marvelous to have a friend like you because, you know, I have come to you again and again, uh, and, and ask you to just help me get to the bottom of, of some place, some situation. And you always come up with the most amazing insight. So, uh, let's, okay, now let's get to this fella who has just become probably the major player in your research all these years we we mentioned him already william dudley pelly what a a mysterious and controversial guy i I bet most people listening to this have, have never heard of him before so what can you tell us about him and what he may have been up to from a paranormal point of view and and why that you're so intrigued well,
2: to call William Dudley Pelly an eccentric is is probably about the nicest thing you'll hear about the fellow, um, especially in the mainstream. And as I've told people as I continue uh, researching and writing about the man, uh, just judging from the first couple paragraphs of his Wikipedia, page, if you were to look up William Dudley Pelley, if there aren't enough smear words and and, uh, bad juju there to scare you away, um, you might worry for your soul, because this guy is so thoroughly demonized uh, throughout uh, contemporary accounts, and nowadays uh, he's mostly forgotten, but when he is referred to, it's always in the same breath as Hitler uh, Nazis, fascist, uh, anti Semite, etc., cetera, etc. But I began to sort of envision his, uh, his, his crazy like a fox way of uh, promoting himself. And I think I'm on to something because uh, throughout the 1930s, he was the head of a militia, an occult militia, as a matter of fact called the Silver Legion of America better known as the Silver Shirts they also believed in spirit communication and channeling and all of these sort of things And
0: time for a break when we come back I'll wrap up my conversation with the paranormal detective Vance Pollock. I'm Joshua P. Warren you're listening to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network I'll be right back to the final segment of this edition of Strange Things on the iHeart Radio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I'm your host, Joshua P. Warren. And now back to my conversation with Vance Pollack talking about William Dudley Pelly and his eccentric group.
2: And one of the first things that people will do to discredit Pelly is to remind us that he had an experience where he quote-unquote died and went to heaven and that he came back claiming to be channeling Christ, which in a manner of speaking is accurate. <laughs> he did claim to have had a, a near-death experience or an out-of-body experience where he found himself in the company of deceased friends. And after he, he woke up from that experience, or came, came back through the veil, uh, he said that he was communicating with these people clairaudiently. And gradually, he says that the clairaudient messages he's receiving are more and more profound, and using uh, a lady in his company to take down some of these messages through automatic writing, that, that's kind of an old-fashioned version of the Ouija board basically where a, a man is holding a woman's wrist and she's holding a pencil and the pencil writes on a pad of paper the message, much as you would get the message from the planchette on a Ouija board or a spirit board. In the company of this woman, Pelle said he first experienced what he called the master vibration, where the room almost felt like it was shaking, almost as if there were, were an earthquake. And um, under under that... Influence, he took down the first of what he called his Golden Scripts, which he later believed were his sole purpose in this lifetime, uh, to record these Master Messages, which are kind of like Pelley's version of the Book of Mormon. But anyway, I, I realized that he knew as he... Uh, exposed himself to, uh, publicly, as, uh, as the leader of this organization, that he would be uh, demonized in the mainstream. And that he also realized, coming out of Hollywood, where he had been a writer and a, a publicity agent for uh, celebrities in Hollywood during the 1920s, during that silent era, of film, that any publicity is good publicity, and he really embraced any sort of sensationalism or uh, extreme sort of over-the-top descriptions that he could get. As long as it got him ink, as they say in the publicity business, uh, any publicity is good publicity. So he allowed them to say all of this, call him what they will in the paper. Uh, He never really tried to correct any of that. He allowed himself to be branded an arch villain. So uh, that's where American Arch Villain uh, came as the working title for the, uh, the series of essays I'm writing about him now.
0: Yeah, now this is on Substack, right? How can people uh, see what you're, you're up to there?
2: All right. Well, the American Arch Villain Substack project is at archvillain.substack.com. And I want those essays to the familiar people, uh, people familiar with Pelley's uh, life and, and work to a degree. I want them to see that I've really put in the research. And that is, uh, during the 1990s, I interviewed not less than 12 people who were acquainted with Pelly and his movement who were in their 80s at that time. And of course, they're all long gone now. Um, but I, I had, collected a number of firsthand accounts from people who were associated with Pellie acquainted with him and now I'm I'm trying to get all of this information and there's there's liter- There are literally tubs and notebooks full of uh, information that I've collected on this fellow over the last 30 years. If there's anybody who wants to reach out to me, you can certainly do it through that uh, that current Pelly writing project, which is the American Archvillain, and it's at archvillain.substack.com. And uh, you can contact me through the uh, Substack page that way.
0: And if you need help with spelling, that is A-R-C-H-V-I-L-L-A-I-N dot S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K dot com. Archvillain.substack.com. Thanks so much to Vance for being on the show. And listen, you should just follow him however you can because goodness knows where his research will lead him. And he's always up to something. So that was a lot of fun. And, you know, think about this. Uh, one thing that's refreshing about Vance's approach is that I could say to somebody like, how do you investigate spirits? And the person goes, well, I get my EMF meter and then I get my infrared camera and then I get my audio recorder that Vance doesn't do any of that. Uh, he just sort of opens his mind and sort of asks the universe to show him the way and then. Things, he, he's very observant. He starts noticing things, and the universe kind of leads him uh, along the pathway to discovery. And for those of you who are interested in doing spiritual research, but you're not very, like, tech-oriented or, or whatever, I mean, this can be a very effective And uh, and much more organic, simple way of you sort of approaching this process of tapping into the Akashic Record or something like that. So there's a lot to learn from studying Vance's approach. So, so great to talk to him. Hey, let me see if I can squeeze in a listener email before we are out of time. This comes from Danielle. She wrote... Uh, I don't even know where to start, Joshua. I have so much I want to share with you, but there are so many events, so much detail. I'll just have to try and stay on point. I've been desperately searching for you, not knowing who you would be. I put it out there loud and clear to the universe that I need some sort of clarification, and you're the only person that is spoken of and described these strange things, or even the possibility of in a such such of a way that I can relate to. I can say that I've experienced about everything strange over the last two years, from portals and parallel dimensions, shadow and hat people, entities, creatures, demons, ghosts, extraterrestrials, UFOs, you name it. The majority of these experiences occurred in a home I was renting in East Texas. I believe there was a portal, very strongly. It was a hell house. I didn't even believe in this sort of thing or that any of this was possible. I heavily questioned myself at first, but I wasn't the only one to have the experience. I knew without proof, though, that not only would no one believe me, but I wouldn't believe myself. So I started to document everything, visible or not. I knew I was seeing things, but more so I could feel the presence. I started taking pictures, videos, recording sounds, looking for an explanation to this phenomenon or just simply that nothing would be actually there when I looked at the images. Hundreds of photos turned into thousands and thousands more and thousands more, and it literally consumed me. I miraculously survived six months in this house, but I was... So confused, fearful, and traumatized, for my own well-being, I decided to seek out a healer. And she explained in simple terms what I was seeing, and that it's everywhere, but not everyone can see it. She told me I have a bit of a sixth sense, that I'm very intuitive as well as telepathic. And she taught me how to use the light as my protection. Well, it helped for a little while anyway, and I just tried to leave it all behind and get back to reality, but little did I know this would become my new reality. I was seeing these shadows and entities more and more and having that eerie feeling again. For some reason, I decided to revisit those photos again. I never really looked at all of them, maybe 10%. So I've been going through them now and I'm astonished at what I captured. It's almost as if they wanted to be seen. It's chilling and sickening at the same time. I feel like I have the proof everyone has been looking for. I've never seen anything like it on the web or a TV documentary. And I also picked up messages which I ignored for the most part because I didn't know what I was dealing with, whether it was good or bad. It sounded like angels and demons, in my opinion. I knew it was dangerous, though, and I could lose myself or worse, be possessed. I do think I have attachments. Basically, I'm seeking your assistance. I don't know what to do to persuade you to help me or work with me, but I'll take a simple referral to someone who can at this point. I've thought about publishing this evidence, but I'd like to share it with someone like you first, get a different point of view, discuss it, get honest feedback and go there with, go from there with it. Uh, Please let me know if this email reaches you. I will sort through images, create an album, and uh, anyway, thanks for your time and your podcast. Best regard. So uh, we're looking at her stuff right now. I said, hey, I'm sending this to Mobius. He is the chief of our analysis department. And I'll let you know if we find anything cool. Thanks, Danielle. Let's wrap this up, folks, with the good fortune tone. That's it for this edition of the show. Follow me on Twitter at Joshua P. Warren. Plus, visit com to sign up for my free e newsletter to receive a free instant gift and check out the cool stuff in the Curiosity Shop, all at com. I have a fun one lined up for you next time, I promise. So please tell all your friends to subscribe to this show.